The following audio is from Pathway Community Church. More information about Pathway Community Church is available at www.pathwaycommunity-church.org. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Pathway. Um, and I get to open up God's Word with us this morning. Hopefully, uh, you've been able to settle in, get your coffee, um, do what you need to do to be ready to hear from God's Word. Uh, so I want to start out just with a question. I know some of you are watching on Facebook. Uh, some of you are watching on YouTube. Um, so wherever you're at, who's been doing some good reading during quarantine? Um, if, if you've been doing any sort of reading over quarantine, I want to know. So go ahead and comment on Facebook, comment on the YouTube uh, channel. What books have you been reading? I would love, love to know what you guys are reading. Maybe I'll choose one if it sounds interesting um, to read next. I've been doing a lot of good reading. Some practical living books, some theology, some mystery, and a few biographies. Does anybody else like biographies? Um, Jessica and I love a good biography. It doesn't matter, Christian, non-Christian, the story of somebody's life can speak to us in real and tangible ways. But I've noticed as I've read that um, Christian biographies have this marked difference. And that makes sense um, because they're based on God and around Jesus. But they have this marked difference of, in my faith, they can bring encouragement. They can bring me hope. They can point us to God and remind us that nobody is too far away from God to receive his salvation. Nobody has such a hard heart that God can't soften that and transform that person from the inside out. And so those biographies, those are by far the most awe-inspiring um, stories and compelling stories um, that I read. And that's why I love when we do baptisms, um, because we get to hear the story of what God has done in the lives of those that are in our church. Like Hugo, man, that was awesome hearing your story on Easter. And I was just encouraged by that, of God's transformation in the midst of his people. We get to hear about this new life. We get to hear about living hope that's still at work today. And, and so today we're, we're ending this series um, called Hope Resurrected. Um, when, when Jesus rose from the grave, he won for us a living hope um, that is ours starting now and lasting forever. And, and we're going to look at some stories in the book of Acts. And so I just wanted to kind of preface all of the morning with all of that first. So you can go ahead and open up to Acts. And as you're doing that, let me just point out a few reminders and announcements for us. Um, the first is, hey, if you're new and, and you're like just streaming in for the first time, uh, we're so thankful that you're checking this out. Um, if you go to our webpage, or there's probably a link on the Facebook Live event, um, there's a link that you can fill out for I'm New. Um, just let us know a little bit about who you are uh, and why you tuned in. That would be awesome. And um, for
For those of you who are members here at Pathway, regular attenders, we also want to remind you, help us keep Pathway strong during these uh, weird times. You can continue to give online under the Give tab, or you can uh, mail in checks as well. We're taking those, um, and you can actually even drop them off here at the office. If nobody's here, you can you know, sort of push it through the little mail slot that we've got on one of the doors outside. Um, so that's a way that you can help us keep Pathway strong during this time. Um, and, and finally, before we jump into the, to the real message today, I did want to take a second to pray and honor um, our veterans, and especially those um, who have fallen in past wars, because it is Memorial Day weekend. So would you join with me as we pray? Father, we are just so thankful for the brave men and women whom you have raised up recently and in years past to go and fight for our country and to lay down their lives. And and truly, those who have served and have laid down their lives have not done it in vain, and you have used those people to bless this nation. And, and so those who have fallen, we honor this morning and we are thankful for their sacrifice. We are thankful that they gave of themselves so that we may experience the blessings and reap those benefits here. The, the liberties and the freedoms that we are able to exercise in this nation as a result. And so, Father, we honor them. We pray that you would bless their families. And for those who have lost military personnel recently, we pray that you would bring comfort and peace. We thank you for this morning and for the technology that allows us to be somewhat together. And Holy Spirit, we're thankful that you allow us to truly be together and to be unified and brought together into perfect harmony and love even when we are in separate places and in separate homes. And we pray that we would experience your presence, Holy Spirit, and your power at work in our hearts and in our lives this morning. We pray that we would hear from your word and respond by faith, Jesus, that we would see you and the transformation that you can do in our lives, that we would be encouraged, that it would light a fire in our hearts, and that it would light a fire under us to go and share this transformation with those around us. So be present with us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're in the book of Acts. We're finishing up this series, Hope Resurrected. By the way, we're starting an awesome new series next week. It's called Citizens of Heaven, Residents of America. And so we're, we're going to learn about what it means to have our citizenship in heaven first and foremost, and what that means living in a, a time, such a time as this um, here in America. So tune in next week for the beginning of that series. But today we're wrapping up this Hope Resurrected. We're going to be in the book of Acts, um, Acts chapters 8 and 9. 
I sort of toyed with the idea of, of just standing up here and reading Acts chapters 8 through 11 because it is story after story after story of people coming to encounter Jesus and being transformed. We, we see story after story after story of the word of God going out and blessing households, communities, cities, individuals, everybody, Jewish people, Samaritans who are like enemies of Jewish people, right? Like I use the illustration, they're, they're Green Bay Packers fans. Even they were receiving the gospel. Um, we're going to the ends of the ends of the earth, Ethiopia. So we're talking Africa now, right? So it's story after story after story of transformation, transformation, transformation. So that's your homework today. Read Acts chapters 8 through 11. Four chapters. I think you can do it. And you'll see conversion after conversion, transformation upon transformation. It's super encouraging. But we're just going to look at chapters 8 and 9, a little overview of them today. And we're going to learn this. Hope resurrected means that transformation is available to all people. Transformation is available to all people. Anybody, at any time, in any circumstance, can be transformed out of anything by the powerful Word of God. Transformation is available to all people. So if you're not there, get yourselves opened up to Acts chapters 8 and 9. We're going to read some of those stories and we're going to be reminded of how amazing God's grace is and how we can respond to that grace. So let's pray once more um, and dive into Acts chapter 8. Speak to us, Jesus. May we see you clearly. May we be transformed. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Starting in Acts chapter 8, I should probably open up to that. So in in verse 1, we read this. And Saul approved of his execution. Okay, let's just... I know we're only a few words in, but let's just pause there for a second. A little reminder of the context there. Last week we learned about Stephen. Stephen, full of the Spirit, he he stands up and he ends up rebuking the religious leaders. He says, you didn't even recognize your own Messiah. God came and saved you and you killed him. So repent. And how did they respond? They stoned him. They killed him. So what, who did Saul approve the execution of? Saul approved the execution of Stephen. And then at the end of Acts 7, we see that, that the people that stoned Stephen are, they're casting their garments at this young man's feet. His name is Saul. And that, at that point in Acts, I picture the Darth Vader music playing. Dun, 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 Right? So, so Jessica and I, we've been watching Star Wars, and finally, we're, we're watching Chronological Order. We finally made it through the first three episodes. Um, episodes one and two were just trash. They were terrible. But they did, 
they, they play, it was really cool, the foreshadow that they do, where they start playing that, that Darth Vader music when Anakin, spoiler alert, he becomes Darth Vader, when Anakin is starting to kind of turn to the dark side and they, they get that little Darth Vader music going, that's Saul here. Right? We see him. He's got the... He's, I, I picture him with like a, a cloak on over his head. It's like covering half of his face. And he's like, yeah, this is good. This is right. We, sh- we should be killing more. And that's what he does if we read on in Acts 8, uh, chapter 1. Or Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And then skipping to verse 3, But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Dun, 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 dun. That's Saul. And then we can, we can flash forward to Acts 9, and starting at 9-1, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Dun, 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 right? There's the formation of the Death Star here. Hope resurrected means transformation is available to all people, even to Saul. That's crazy if you think about that. I I saw somebody on social media earlier this week posted, um, you know, they were like, this is what grace means. And it was, a, and I don't know, I'm probably butchering it, but it was like, Jesus tells of this story where, you know, all these workers are starting work at different times of the day and they all get paid the same amount of money, right? And sort of the, there were a few more examples of that, but the point was grace is terrible math. For some of you, you're like, yeah, so is Common Core. Um, grace is terrible math. And that's true. That's true. Somebody who murders and persecutes Christians like Saul, transformation is just as available to him as for somebody who steals a pack of gum when they're three, and that's like the worst thing they've ever done. This, this man who hardened his heart to Jesus, who hated Christ's followers. He oversaw the lynching of Stephen. He's still breathing threatened murder, right? Back in in chapter 8, between 8 and 9, some time has passed. You would think maybe Saul would have cooled down by then, but no, he's just getting more angry and more angry. He's breathing threat and murder. He's persecuting them in Jerusalem, but that's not enough for him. So he goes to the high priest and he asks, hey, give me some written permission so that I can go 135 miles north to Damascus so that I can continue to persecute Christians. He's not just persecuting Christians as he comes across them. He's trekking over a hundred miles to go and persecute more Christians. 
Later on, in, in, uh, in Acts, Paul says he was acting in raging fury. And in Galatians, Saul admits that he persecuted the church violently, or if you translate that literally, to a very extraordinary degree. He had a reputation amongst the believers as a person who was ravaging the church and seeking to destroy it. But transformation is available for all people. Where Saul's hatred was strong, God's grace was stronger yet. Look at how God is able to get a hold of Saul's heart. Starting in Acts chapter 9, verse 3. Now as Saul went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, because they heard the voice, but saw no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying And he has seen it in a vision, a man named Ananias, come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. That's a story that encourages the heart. That's a biography worth reading. I mean, we, God does this amazing inward transformation in Saul's heart. And we see Saul flip from being vehemently opposed to Jesus to calling him Lord. Transformation is available to all people, even to Saul. In, in, in verse 6, Jesus calls Saul out twice for persecuting him. He's like, why are you persecuting me? 
Who are you? I'm the one that you're persecuting. Stop persecuting me. And right after that, he says, but rise. And in the syntax, in the, in the Greek, the way that those words are together, it kind of reads like this. Jesus saying, you're persecuting me, but enough of that. We're done with that. Get up, go into the city. We've got work to do. And that's it. There's no fighting it for Saul. It's game over. He, he is going to follow Jesus, and he's going to do what Jesus says, and he doesn't have a choice in the matter. Jesus is like, no, nah, we're done. You're persecuting me? That's over. You're going to be my servant, and, and you're going to do amazing things for me. Saul, Saul rose from the ground in verse 8. He rose from the ground, and though, although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. This reminds me of the Old Testament. All those stories where God puts his power on display. Tells the Israelites, go and take this nation. Go and take the promised land. Go, go into this land. And they're like, how are we supposed to do that? He goes, don't worry. I'm going to go before you. I got this. And God, he turns armies blind. He turns them against each other. He gives them great fear, so they run away. He turns them into confusion. And Israel just goes and they just, they just like sweep up the mess after God's done his work. Man, the battle has already been won. Saul's coming to Damascus to persecute the church. Saul came, if you look at those words, he came to bind them up and lead them out of Damascus. Yet now we've got a pitiful scene of Saul blinded, being led by hand into Damascus, already defeated. Before he even arrives to the city, God's like, "Uh uh-uh, not happening. And then he turns the tables and, in fact, Saul, you're actually going to be the one who goes and takes the gospel of the Gentiles and you're going to plant 50 churches and you're going to travel everywhere write half of the New Testament, and we'll call it a day. That's what God does. That's what God does. It's interesting. Saul picks up the mantle from Stephen, essentially. He oversees Stephen's execution. It's crazy how this all works. He oversees Stephen's execution. And then we saw that at the beginning of of, um, Acts 8. That there arose on that day, because of Saul, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Up to this point, in Acts 1.8, it says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Well, up through Acts 7, where have we seen the witnessing of Jesus? In Jerusalem only. So before Saul's converted, God uses him to send the church out on their mission. Before Saul even accepts the Lord, God is like, yeah, I I got big things for you. I can bring transformation into your life. And so I'm going to use your persecution. I'm going to take that and I'm going to send my disciples who haven't left Jerusalem yet. I'm going to give them a reason to leave. They're going to go to Judea and Samaria and that's going to be Saul's doing. And then guess what, Saul? You're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I love how God does that. I love that. If God can do that in Saul's life, 
Look at that power. Look at, look at how sovereign God is. That means there's hope for us. There's hope for me. Hope resurrected means transformation is available for all people. My goodness, that's comforting. Oh man, that is so encouraging to see that. If, if Saul, persecutor of the church, can receive grace and forgiveness from Jesus, man, so can you. He goes on to write, and Saul goes on to write in Romans 8, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing that you've done, nothing that Saul did could separate him from the love of his father. If, if you have not truly experienced that grace and that forgiveness today, you can. Anybody can be transformed. Whatever you're doing right now, whatever you did last year, whatever you did last month, whatever you did last week, whatever you did this morning, God's grace can cover that. You are redeemable. Jesus died on the cross to set you free from any of the consequences of the sin that you're engaged in. He died on the cross to set you free from yourself. He died on the cross to set you free from bondage to whatever it is that you're facing. You are able to be healed. You are not beyond repair. When you put your faith in Jesus, you go from foe to friend. And you can do that today. And you can receive that grace right now in the same way Jesus, boom, light shines to Paul, to Saul. He says, you're done persecuting me. You're going to be my servant now. And Saul's like, okay. Boom. That easy. There it goes. That's all it takes is submitting to Jesus. And if you've done that already, let this be an encouragement to you. Let it be a comfort to you. Whatever sin you're facing, whatever sin you've been in bondage to, whatever temptation seems overwhelming this morning, God is able to bring transformation. He can do it. Look at the life of Saul. Look at the life of Saul. Read Acts 8 through 11 today. There's way more that God is doing and you see God at the center orchestrating all of this transformation. And to, to summarize, God then in, in Acts 8, he transforms a charlatan and the people the this, this charlatan had influence over, right? This, this demon magician puts his faith in Jesus and everyone that followed him put their faith in Jesus. It's crazy. They all get baptized. And then God sets up this perfect scenario where, where Philip, one of the seven, one of Stephen's friends, is told, Philip's told, Philip, go to a desolate road. And you know what, Philip? Go there during the time of day where nobody's going to be there. 
Go there at noon when the sun is hottest. So go to this desert place when the sun is hottest, Philip. And you know what? You're going to meet somebody there. You're going to encounter this exotic person, an Ethiopian. He was a real person, the Ethiopian eunuch. But Ethiopian was also like the prime example of an exotic, almost fairy tale type person. The guy's like, you're going to go meet this super exotic person in the, in the place where you would not expect to meet anybody at that time. And he's just going to happen to be reading one of the most influential passages from the Old Testament that talk about Jesus. And then he's going to ask you, what does it mean? I don't think there's ever been a more divine sort of conjured up situation to share the gospel with somebody. That's what God does. And you know what? Philip talks with him and boom, baptized. The God of the universe is at work all around us, ready to transform lives, setting up these divine encounters. And it's because of what Paul wrote in Romans 8. Because of his great love, there's nothing that will get in the way of his great love for us, which means there's nothing that will stop us from being transformed because of the love of God. I hope you believe that today. I really do. Nobody is beyond God's reach. I don't know about you, but stories like that, they just, they just light a fire in my heart. We need more of that. We need more of that. Read, read Acts 8 through 11 today. Go and tell somebody your story today. They need it. To, to hear and to see transformation happening. It's one thing to say, yeah, transformation can happen. It's one thing to preach about. It's one thing to, to, to read about the theological ideas behind it of regeneration and what that means and, and what the indwelling of the Holy Spirit means and sanctification and justification and glory. Yeah, it's one thing to talk about those things, but to read the stories of people that have experienced transformation, to hear the stories, those in our family, our friends, those in our church, to hear those stories of transformation, that's a totally another thing. We need more of that. Read a biography of a great Christian. C.S. Lewis, he's got a great story. William Wilberforce, it's another one. St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas. I mean, there, there are plenty of great stories throughout history and around us that, man, we could be encouraged by, that could light a fire in our heart. But I don't want to end there because this, this section in Acts, and really the Christian message, is not just about encouraging us. But it's also about sending us out. So this this transformation 
that's available to all people, that should be comforting to us because that means that we are redeemable. That should also then compel us to bring that transformation to anybody. Because if I'm redeemable, so are you. So it lights a fire in us, but I also hope that it lights a fire under us and sets us out. So I've got two takeaways for us to think about then today. As, as this story lights a fire in us and lights a fire under us, the first question to ask yourself, does your life reflect this transformation? Saul goes into Damascus and and in Acts 9.20, it says that immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Check this out. All who heard him were amazed. Were they amazed because of what he said? No. They were amazed at his transformation at the end of verse 21. Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? Didn't this guy come to persecute us? And here they stand in awe, literally beside themselves, not knowing what to do with the information that's entering their heads, because they're like, what happened? They see the transformation in Saul's life immediately. Can others see the transforming power of God in your life? And you know, you might say, well, I've been a Christian my whole life, so I'm... How are they supposed to say, you know, Saul was persecuting. He was killing Christians. And yeah, of course, it's easy to see that transformation. Maybe you're struggling with anger. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean we got this thing down, right? Man, I, I still have sins that are very public. Can people see those beginning to be transformed in my life? Like I said, maybe it's anger. If God can calm Saul's vicious anger, he can calm yours too. Whatever it is, greed, pride, selfishness, sloth, lying, pornography, whatever it is. Are are you being filled by the Spirit to allow God to transform that? So that people can look at your life and say, you're different than a year ago. Wow, that's amazing. That's a testimony. That is a living testimony to those around us of what God is doing and what God is capable of doing. Hope resurrected himself, Jesus. He's right in front of you. Just like he was right in front of Saul and he wants to bring that transformation. Seek him. Cast those things on him. Pray and ask, 
Jesus, transform my life so that others may see you at work. That's the first question to ask as we come away from this. Does your life reflect this transformation? But the second takeaway, that transformation is available to all. It, It lights a fire under us, like I've said. Because it means that there are people out there waiting to be transformed. There are people in this world waiting to be transformed. I wish we could look at this character Ananias in Acts chapter 9. Okay, we've learned about the seven deacons, Stephen and Philip, prominent figures. We've learned about the the apostles, Peter. And John, they figure hugely into this story, right? Peter goes down and he has like this, this showdown with this, this charlatan and he, he wins. And so I'm thinking, you know what? If someone's going to convert Saul in, this, in the book of Acts, it's going to be someone like Peter, right? We're going to have this like epic battle between like Peter and Saul and Peter's going to win, right? But it's going to take like some seriously trained, some prominent Christian figure to convert Saul, But when we read in Acts 9, it's just some dude in Damascus. Just a faithful disciple of Jesus. What if Ananias said no? Saul would still be converted because nothing thwarts God's plan. What happens though? Man, Ananias misses out. He's scared for right reasons. God reassures him. But what if he says no? He's going to live with that regret for the rest of his life. I could have been a part of that. As he watches Saul start to plant churches and write these letters, he thinks about it every day. Man, I really missed out on that. I had a chance to share the gospel with Saul. And be a part of what God was doing. And I missed it. Ananias is just this faithful disciple of Jesus. Just your everyday Christian. Who decided to say yes. Who decided to say, look, God, you can transform anybody. I believe it. So I'm going to step out in faith because of it. God wants you to say yes, and he wants to use you to bring transformation to those around you. I've never been more encouraged in my faith than than when I've had opportunities to share the gospel and by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, I actually said, yes, okay, I'm going to step out and do it and then have conversations with people. I've never been more encouraged in my faith than when I do that. And I can do that confidently because God's transformation is available for all people. So who am I to say that this person shouldn't hear it? Who am I to say that that person is too scary to share it with? Church, who are the Saul's in your life? They don't need to be vehemently against or opposed to Christianity. They just need to be somebody that doesn't know Jesus. Who are the Saul's in your lives? After reading this story, you can't write them off. 
there's this amazing quote from um, a, great, a great preacher, Spurgeon, and I, I didn't write it down, but, so I don't know why I'm bringing it up, because I don't know what it, barely remember what it says, but he's basically like, he's basically like, don't bury a man before he's dead, and I'm sure somebody else has said that before, but he said that in this context, you don't bury a man before he's dead, like if he's got breath in him, there's still hope that he can be transformed. Who are the Saul's in your life? Ananias, I can almost guarantee you, Ananias had better reasons for not approaching Saul than anyone in your life. Transformation is available to all. All. There are people out there, church. So, so this truth that we read about, this transformation that God can bring anywhere at any time to anybody for, uh, under any circumstance, may that light a fire in us and may it light a fire under us so that we would go out and seek and find those that the Lord wants to transform. So we're going to sing a simple hymn in response to this. Right before we do, I've got a final story. This is a man named John. He had sort of a rough upbringing. He ends up living kind of like a, a life on sea with all that that entails. The drinking, the women, whatever else they do on those ships. I've never been on one. But it was even more so... Um, depraved there because he was also a slave trader. God one night uses a storm to get a hold of his heart. He's terrified. He prays to God, and you know what God does? I don't know how this happened, but, but a bunch of things, a bunch of the cargo, not, I don't know what, they, what else they were carrying besides slaves, like shifts and fills this giant hole in the ship and like perfectly seals it up. They survive. So John's like, goes through this gradual process then of like, okay, God's real. Yeah, I'm going to follow him. He became a follower of Jesus and he eventually renounces the slave trade. He worked with a man named William Wilberforce to end slavery in the UK and he later wrote a song that just outlined how God is able to bring transformation to all people. Maybe you've heard it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. was John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. Hope resurrected means that transformation is available to all people. May that light a fire in us and under us this week.